Welcome to this episode of Fossils and Fiction, a podcast that explores the stories of prehistoric life, most often through the stories we humans tell about it. It's produced by me, Travis Holland, with support from Charles Sturt University. Enjoy. For this episode of Fossils and Fiction, I'm talking to one of my favourite podcasters. It's Garrett from I Know Dino. Hi, Garrett. <laughs> Thank you very much, and thanks for having me. Oh, of course. I've been a big fan of your podcast. I've been listening for about five years now. Um, I wasn't there right at the beginning. You've been going nearly 10 years now, I think. So tell me about the, the early days. Yeah, so I guess the, the impetus to create I Know Dino was we, I guess, well, actually, before the podcast, <laughs> my wife, Sabrina, had made some websites in the past, and we noticed that our overlap, we were still, we weren't husband and wife at this point, but we had an overlapping interest on dinosaurs, and we decided to make a dinosaur website, and I Know Dino was maybe the 50th name we came up with where the domain was available. So that's where the name came from. Those and, domain uh, squatters, yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Anything with dinosaur in it, like any version of dinosaur was either taken or, yeah, squatted on. So like, I know dino, it was like, eh, it rhymes and it's available and people probably could figure out it's dinosaurs. So that's how that name came about. And then when we made the podcast, we we're like, okay, now we could put dinosaur back in it. So we made it, I know dino, the big dinosaur podcast, mm -hmm. mostly so that dinosaur was in the title for SEO purposes. <laughs> but yeah, so we created the landing page first, I guess you could call it now, because it's basically a landing page for the podcast. And we did it partly because we wanted to keep track of all the dinosaur museums around because we love dinosaur museums. That's like our favorite thing about dinosaurs are the museums. And so I wanted to have a map. And so we made a map on that website. And then we started doing some blogging. And then I was listening to podcasts and there weren't any podcasts I could find that covered every new dinosaur. So eventually Sabrina was like, we should just start a podcast. So that was why we did it. <laughs> yeah. So that was the angle, right? Because there, there were a couple of podcasts and there still are that, that kind of just cover general news and talk about research and do a whole bunch of other stuff. And then there's great podcasts like uh, Common Descent, which are much bigger than just just dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, that, that notion of, hey, there's so many new dinosaurs all the time, let's cover those is, is really cool. So that's where it all came from. I know Dino. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Some, some other science podcasts I'd listen to, every once in a while, they would talk about a new dinosaur discovery. And I would love it when they talked about it, but then it would go, you know, five, six months until they talked about another one. It was usually just the ones that are like similar to T-Rex or similar to Velociraptor. So they got a little bit of buzz online, but there are all these other dinosaurs being discovered all the time. I'm like, who's talking about these? There's got to be somebody, but we couldn't find anybody because it was, it's an onerous task because it's like 50 dinosaurs a year. So it's like pretty much every week there's a new one to talk about. And unless your show is about dinosaurs, it's like you don't want to be talking about every single one of these things. Yeah, if your show's not about dinosaurs, you're just going to make it a dinosaur podcast anyway, yeah. if, that's what you, <laughs> if that's what you try and do. Well before I started listening to your podcast, I'm pretty sure I saw your wedding photos. They went, oh, yeah? they went viral at some point. Uh, and you had a dino themed wedding, which I, I was not able to convince my wife to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, it was just a couple months before we started the podcast. We had the dinosaur themed wedding. And I, what Sabrina always says is that she told her mom, like, we want to do a dinosaur themed wedding. And her mom said, you haven't had a dinosaur themed party since you were eight. 
Never too late to get back into it. Yeah, exactly. Gary, you and Sabrina recently remastered and re-released your first episode. Looking back at that episode and listening through it as you as you did that re-edit, how did you figure that you've evolved? What were the things that you suddenly went, oh, we, we changed that? Or, you know, something that happens unconsciously through the process. What's changed? Yeah, I am not a huge fan of re-listening to early episodes because so much has changed. Um, but we partly re-released that episode because our whole house had COVID and we mm. make a point to never miss a week. So we're like, okay, what can we do? How can we do something? And then it ended up being almost as much work as a normal week because the audio was so hard to understand. I had to do a lot of like remixing and mastering to sort of bring it to be intelligible, um, which was something I kind of wanted to do anyway, just to redo the first episode. Because a lot of people start at episode number one when they're listening to podcasts. And I always felt like, oh, that episode is not great. <laughs> but re-listening to it, it actually wasn't that bad. We did... For the early episodes, we had to do so much more research because we really needed to learn in depth about these subjects and these dinosaurs. And so fortunately, we got most of the facts right. And some of them were like more hypothetical or, you know, more hypotheses. Mm -hmm. I could just wait for this vehicle going by. (laughs) (laughs) We we talked briefly about uh that process of of uh figuring out how to get the audio right you know Mm -hmm. uh back from those early days and then now as well so yes the vehicles are one of those things for you yeah yeah definitely we live like 100 feet from a freeway Mm -hmm. so it's like (laughs) there's always noises i mean we treated the room and we use the right kind of microphone so it helps a little bit those are big things we changed also in the first episode sabrina did the interview like the microphone of the laptop was what recorded the interviewer or interviewee on the other side. Yeah. So it's like it came out of the speakers and then into the microphone. So it sounded really bad. Um, so we do better than that now. <laughs> That's another big change. <laughs> and it's getting easier, right? Like every every year there's a, a new brand new microphone that's just optimized for podcasting and, and new recording platforms. Um, and, yes. And all sorts of things. So. Yeah, that certainly helps. Something I noticed from that early episode, I hope I don't embarrass you with this, but <laughs> you spoke much slower in those yeah. early episodes than you do now. Yeah, there's a couple reasons for that. One of them is I, I got mouth surgery like right after our wedding, so shortly before the first podcast was released, and we sort of recorded a bunch of them in a row. And when we were recording all of those, I had just had this like pretty major surgery on my mouth. Um, and so it was hard to speak. Okay. <laughs> that wasn't a, the answer I expected, actually. <laughs> not a great strategy. But I also just talked more slowly. I don't I don't know why. Sabrina has been on my case, had been on my case for years about how slow I spoke. Um, so I guess it took some practice. But also, I don't know. I think I was a little bit uncertain about how to pronounce some of the things mm-hmm. and making sure that I wasn't you know, going to say the wrong thing. So I was mostly reading everything very scripted, whereas now it's a little bit more bullet points and a little bit easier. Yeah. Okay. So back to that tagline, the big dinosaur podcast, certainly I think you're you're easily the biggest dinosaur podcast in the field. Uh, I actually did a little content analysis of social media followers and things, and you guys were way out in front on just about every metric. So what's been core to that success for you? 
I think so. The biggest thing with podcasting is consistency. So we release every week, no matter what we have for almost nine years. That's like, if you're not consistent, you won't have the same, you know, like people will drop off. And then I think also sticking to the subject has been pretty helpful. So like we're in the dinosaur niche and we stay in the dinosaur niche. We don't spend a lot of time talking about like our personal lives and we try not to banter too much. Although for years, people were telling us we didn't have enough banter and it was too dry. And it took a long time to find that balance of like, okay, people want to hear a little bit so they know you're a human and you're not just like an AI reading facts. But they also don't want you to just be going off in the weeds about like what you had for breakfast. So like finding that balance, I think, has been helpful. But yeah. I don't know what, why we got so big. Um, I don't think we're that big. We're like, we're big for a dinosaur podcast, but we're, <laughs> we're still very small in terms of podcasts in general, yeah, I yeah. think. It definitely, definitely the biggest dinosaur podcast, podcast or the one I, the one I looked at anyway. Um, that sort of parasocial thing that you mentioned is a, is a big thing in what I do, which is, you know, thinking about how people relate to, to media uh, outside of talking about dinosaurs. And um, what's that relationship like? You know, you, you just kind of mentioned the finding the balance between, I guess, sharing some personal stuff and some banter and back and forth, but it also creates this weird relationship. And with podcasting, you're right in people's ears all the time. So how do you how do you balance that? How do you find it having a having this parasocial relationship with listeners? Yeah, it's really interesting. So I would say for years it was pretty one sided in terms of like we would share a lot of information. We hear very little back from our audience unless we made a big mistake and then we get a bunch of corrections. Or sometimes I'll throw out a question, you know, like if anybody knows about this, and then a lot of times we'll get an answer. But other than those like really limited interactions, we wouldn't have much coming back at us. Except when we would go to sometimes a paleontology conference, someone would overhear one of our voices. And I remember the <laughs> first time I was talking just in line for something and somebody turned around and looked at me like they knew me. And I was like, well, what's happening? And then they like, you know, knew who I was. They were like, Garrett? And I'm like, yeah. And then it, it was like a little bit awkward at first, but very quickly, you have so much in common with people that listen to your podcast, because like you said, it is really intimate and personal but also the people are drawn to you that sort of have a lot in common with you is what we found so it's easy to strike up conversations with people and sort of connect with people so a few years ago we launched a discord server for people that support us on patreon and that has been really nice because then we can get more back and forth and we get to know people better and we can sort of talk to them and it's it also helps when it's like you find out we do a, our annual survey to find out what people like and don't like, but you get a lot more immediate feedback with like, oh, I really liked this segment or I don't really like that so much or you should talk more about this or that. And yeah, I like it a lot. That Discord server was like also one of my happy places during COVID when I could be like, I just want to see dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want Jump in there, else. have a conversation, say to people, yeah. hey, send me a picture of this or your favorite dinosaur or whatever it happens to be. And yeah, and they'll send it to you. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's great. Often podcasts are hosted by scientists in the in the field, um, and sometimes you get a scientist alongside an entertainer, like I'm thinking of uh, Dave Hone's podcast with Izzy Lawrence. Mm -hmm. uh, but neither of you guys fit that category. How, how does your background feed into I Know Dino, though? How does it still inform what you do? Yeah, so Sabrina is a trained journalist, 
she actually brought back the science section for our college newspaper. So she was used to like interviewing all these like Nobel prize winning people and who speak in like very technical terms and then distilling that down into something for, you know, just a newspaper for any average person to read. So that helped a ton and sort of helped set the tone of our show. And she sort of came up with sort of the guidelines for how we would talk about things, stuff like that. That was really helpful. Um, and it's really nice to sort of be science communicators or science journalists because we don't actually do any research on these. So we don't have any conflicts of interest and we can just be like, that person spent 10 years on this and we don't necessarily think they're right about what they're saying. <laughs> Whereas if we were working with the person, that might be a little harder to do. I always feel a little bad when we do that, but it doesn't come up that often. Usually, And pretty much everything anyone does has some merit to it, but it's usually you're disagreeing with some of the conclusions. But yeah, I have a background in chemical engineering, so I understand all the chemistry and math in the papers. That's the biggest help for me. But also statistics, I basically worked sort of as a statistician for like five years. So I understand all the statistics on things. And the biggest way that comes out is a lot of the claims where it's like, you know, we've shown that there's this sexual dimorphism between these dinosaurs and like, here's our graph. And it's like, that is that is not statistically significant. <laughs> it's usually the answer is it's not statistically significant. There's actually a paper or a presentation at SVP one year where a guy basically went up and said like, Nothing anyone is doing here is statistically significant. <laughs> You're all wrong. <laughs> People were like, come on, what are we supposed to do? Like, yeah, we have small sample sizes. But anyway, I'd say those are like our backgrounds that are, are helpful. And nowadays, you know, we've read, we've been reading these papers for so many years that I, we understand it pretty well. Yeah, yeah. I think you, you've certainly, you know, you spend this much time invested in the topic. Uh, you get to know it really well. And yeah, I think that's possibly another sort of change that we might have seen in you recently is, yeah, I was listening to some recent episodes and you were willing to say, I just don't agree with that conclusion. I don't <laughs> think he could find that. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, and, and as you say, that is might actually be easier if you're not necessarily working with these people or relying on them from collaborations or grants or whatever. So, yeah, yeah, definitely in the early days, like you were asking about the change. In the early days, we weren't really willing to say like, we don't agree with this because you could read a whole bunch of background on different subjects, but it's hard unless you've been really in it for years to say like whether or not there's a consensus one way or another and sort of feel your way through what's controversial and what isn't. So yeah, that's that's been a big change and helpful. You mentioned Sabrina's background in journalism and helping to um, uh, make information understandable to, to listeners and to readers. Is is that the main approach to making science communication accessible for Rhino Dino, or is there another? What what are the strategies that you use there in general? Yeah, I'm always concerned that we're using way too much jargon because I mm -hmm. think that's been a change too. As you sort of understand the jargon more, you tend to use it more because yeah. it does mean something really specific. And so saying you know something that's like proximal means something different than saying like in the front or what you know like yeah the, whereas that's a whole undergraduate lecture like <laughs> yeah exactly so it's like it's hard not to get into some of the jargon so usually what we end up doing is i try to find a common english phrase for the jargon and then i still use the jargon so that i can be precise about it so our longtime listeners sort of know what we're saying and we can be right about it and if we sort of 
say it in really simple terms, people aren't like, aren't saying or aren't thinking, oh, he said that wrong. You know, that's not technically how you would present that. Um, and it's so it's nice to be able to be precise with the jargon, but I also try to include more common language. But it's so hard because you don't want to do it all the time. You don't want to be constantly yeah. saying like theropods. They're the meat eating dinosaurs with three toes and bipedal because, yeah, it gets old. But yeah, so I don't know if I've gotten the balance for that yet. <laughs> What, one thing Sabrina does when she's reading papers that uh, I really appreciate, it's such a small thing. And, I, you know, I, I don't know that I could even claim she's the originator of this, but instead of saying et al, she says and others. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, so in, in, in academia, when we have more than one author, we just say et al. And uh, but Sabrina says and the others or and others. And um, I think that's, a, you know, that's one of those things that's just taking that tiny little bit of jargon and just making it more accessible to people who are not in the field. And that's not even dino specific, you know? Um, yeah. So yes. that's a, just a neat little trick she does there. And I think I've adopted that one or I've tried to. So. <laughs> that's definitely a good one. Yeah. Because there are some jargony terms which are completely unnecessary. It's like, you're yeah. just saying the thing in Latin. You could say and it in English. that's one of them, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It literally just Absolutely. means like, and others, but in yeah. Latin. Um. What role do you think that podcasts can play in science communication then? And is there any advantages to podcasts over other types of media, like, you know, maybe blogs or um, documentaries or YouTube or whatever it may be? Yeah, I think the big advantage to podcasts is that it's so long form. You spend so much time on a subject. I mean, there are podcasts that are pretty popular that are like two and a half hour long episodes. Yeah. Ours are usually more like an hour long, but that means each topic is usually five to 10 minutes and you can still get a ton of information across in five to 10 minutes compared to if you're like on social media you're usually just seeing a headline or maybe like a tweet's worth of information and it's so hard we still struggle to condense new discoveries down into like a tweet and we've gotten in trouble even where we like try to condense it and people are like that's not what it says and it's like i know but it's a tweet like i'm trying to <laughs> condense what do you want from down. me here <laughs> yeah it's really difficult like listen to the podcast if you want to hear like the, the actual science behind it but yeah so it's nice to be able to really explain a topic in some depth you can explain how important it is or in some cases how you know it might become important in the future it might be sort of pointing towards a, a new gap in our understanding or something where you it's really hard to get into that nuance when you're trying to do it in uh, on social media or in shorter form stuff mm -hmm. so i like that a lot um it's also cool that we can sort of build trust with our listeners on a podcast so we can sort of shoehorn in some science that might be a little bit like politically controversial like if we talk about global warming or we talk about a state park that there is some political battling over whether it should be open for drilling for oil versus should be preserved for paleontology so it's kind of nice to be able to uh, be like a, a little bit of a trusted source to some people so we can present some scientific stuff yeah. that otherwise people might you know, steer away from. I've seen lots of argument uh, recently. There was a, a quite a, a well-detailed uh, op-ed that went around talking about the role of paleontology as a wedge science, as, as opening up all these other fields of science. And climate science is, is one of those that, you know, people love dinosaurs uh, and paleontology and extinct animals and charismatic animals and all sorts of things, but all of them, all of them went extinct and, and, 
it wasn't always from a from a sudden cataclysm from the sky you know mm-hmm. a lot of it was a lot of changeover happens because of uh natural changes in the earth systems so we can point to point to evidence from the record and say this is what's happening under climate change and this is yeah. how, how animals adapt Absolutely. And even just within dinosaurs, too, because it's like, yeah, the 66 million years ago, the last dinosaurs went extinct because of an asteroid impact. But before that, there were mass extinctions, like within the span of dinosaurs, where like other groups of dinosaurs went extinct because of climate change, basically. So when those studies come up, it's always fun to talk about why and how and, you know, how that informs what we might be doing today, what we might want to change, all that kind of stuff. I find that there's a um, a funny kind of tension sometimes between certain pop culture elements and and <laughs> paleontology. Now, I have to be clear here. I think it's I think this originates more with fans of paleontology than with actual paleontologists. Mm-hmm. Far more far more commonly uh, that that tension that I'm talking about. But I know that Sabrina is a huge fan of the land time uh and i love the land before time I, I did an episode on it recently i know you both love jurassic park what role does pop culture play for you in in i know dino yeah it, it has a lot of influence and i think you're sort of alluding to it a little bit but like pop culture influences scientists as much as scientists influence pop culture and we've talked to i think every paleontologist we've talked to that's got into the field after Jurassic Park was released, or maybe, you know, at least five years after Jurassic Park was released, basically got into it because of Jurassic Park. So it's like, yes, fans of paleontology might look at Jurassic Park and say, like, that's inaccurate, that's inaccurate, that's inaccurate. But most scientists who saw Jurassic Park were like, it was awesome. Like, I know it's it's a movie, so it's not perfect, but, like, it's still really cool. It's still interesting. You know, it's still presented dinosaurs in a way that people hadn't really seen up to that point. And that sort of presentation of dinosaurs helped a lot of scientists visualize certain aspects of them. And then it sort of, it can feed back on itself. So it's it can go back and forth. And yeah, we actually interviewed Brian Noble, who wrote Articulating Dinosaurs, a Political Anthropology. And he was, that whole book is about the interplay between science and pop culture. And it's really interesting because it's like, it gets into all sorts of stuff like eugenics and, you know, like how you display these big monsters. And there's all sorts of like interesting ways, depending on the culture that the dinosaurs are being presented in, people interpret them a totally different way. So yeah, they're inextricably linked. There's nothing you could do about it. And we're probably even more in the middle of it than most people because we also talk about dinosaur TV shows and movies and also the science. So it's like, it's so mixed and muddled together, but it's just how it is. Yeah. It's how it is even just in the most, you know, pure in air quotes science too. <laughs> like dinosaurs are being named after Ghostbusters and stuff. Just <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. yeah, there's, you know, named after Ghostbusters, named after... Um... Yeah, and the the funny thing about you're talking about Zool, I assume, right? Mm-hmm. But it is named after Ghostbusters, but in turn has borrowed from mythology, you know, <laughs> way back. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's all. And we've just got like others a... being named after Song of Ice and Fire, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that's like based on a dragon, and dragons might be based on dinosaur bones. So it's just like a big circle of you know yeah. human yeah. interpretation. Coming from from my field, which is you know media media studies, I've 
never been able to avoid that. Not that I've wanted to really. And I, you know, I just end up talking about uh, Jurassic Park. I mean, I've even got this, these prints of Jurassic mm-hmm. Park prints here on the wall behind me. So, um, you guys also recently mentioned you were talking about a paper which looked at um, the role of comics in in science or reflecting modern modern science. Uh, so even aside from um, films, right, the big blockbuster films, there's there's all aspects of of media that kind of play into this relationship back and forth. Yeah. The, yeah. One um, of those. Yeah. I know Alex Hastings was one of the people researching that, and he had a, a poster at a conference once, and it it basically had a pie chart of like what do they get wrong the most, <laughs> and it's like you know they're too big or they're too small or these things had teeth when they didn't really have teeth or their arms are the wrong shape or you know they're in the wrong time period. There's yeah all sorts of different things, and some of the things it's like okay well you know it needed to be that way. Like the humans needed to be interacting with the dinosaurs. So there's no way you could get around that. But other things it's like, well, they could have rotated the arms or given it feathers or things like that. Yeah. So some things get more of a pass than others. Paleo gaming is another thing that's, there's been a little bit of research about lately. And the, the people who wrote that paper, I know you interviewed one of them, the, the paleo gaming paper, they were kind of saying the point of this research is not to say what gets, what the, games get right and wrong but to say these games are out there they're influencing people's views and perspectives on things so what you want to do is as a as a science educator a science communicator is figure out how to incorporate that in a way that makes sense for what you're trying to do right so mm-hmm. i think that's a really valuable perspective because it's like the lowest hanging fruit to say oh that's wrong and mm-hmm. It's, it's all going to change. Like we could point to Charles Knight's murals and say, oh, that's wrong. Uh, but yeah, this, this stuff changes over time. So, Yes, definitely. It's, um, it's always like, is it accurate in terms of like the current understanding or are they repeating a trope? There's a lot of different versions of right and wrong. And it, it can be useful too as a teaching tool just to point out like they did this well, they could have done better on this. And, you know, it can be educational that way. Absolutely. Garrett, thank you so much for that conversation. It's been really, really interesting. Um, and I, I'm a huge fan of I Know Dino. I encourage Thanks. anybody, I doubt there's anybody listening to this podcast who doesn't know I Know Dino, but if you're in that boat, go and check it out. You guys do a, a fantastic job and sign up for the Patreon as well. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fossils and Fiction. We're always looking for more paleo stories to tell and welcome your suggestions through our social channels. You can also send voice notes via Spotify or social media. Podcast theme music is Sonora by Quincas Morea via the YouTube audio library. Show notes are available on the website, fossilsfiction.co. Please subscribe and rate the podcast on your preferred podcasting platform.